Chapter Seventeen of Grace Harlowe's Second Year at Overton College by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen: Making Other Girls Happy. The Thanksgiving holiday was welcomed with acclamation by the students of Overton College, who, with a few exceptions, ate their Thanksgiving dinners at their various campus houses and boarding places. During the four days, tables at Martell's and Vinton's were in demand, and a continuous succession of dinners and luncheons made serious inroads in the monthly allowances of the hospitable entertainers. The month of December dragged discouragingly, however, and when the time really did arrive to pack and be off for the Christmas holidays, the latent energy that suddenly developed for packing trunks and making calls caused the faculty to sigh with regret that it had not been used in the pursuit of knowledge. Nothing of any event had happened in Wayne Hall since the evening when Elfreda had waited in vain for Laura Atkins, whose invitation to dinner she had accepted. This peculiar young woman had offered neither apology nor explanation for her inexplicable behaviour. In fact, the next morning she had completely ignored Elfreda, who, feeling herself to be the aggrieved one, had made no attempt to discover what had prompted the glaring disregard of etiquette for the part of the eccentric freshman. For a week afterward Elfreda discussed and rediscussed the mystery with Grace, Anne, and Miriam. Then she gave up in disgust and turned her attention to basketball. She had lost considerable weight and was now a member of the scrub team. Her greatest ambition was to make the real team in her junior year, and with that intent she sturdily refused to eat sweet things, took long walks and daily haunted the gymnasium, going through the various forms of exercises she had elected to take with commendable persistency. Grace had never sought to discover the identity of the freshman who had stolen her theme. She felt reasonably certain that the same roof covered them both, but she never allowed herself to reach the point of laying the finger of suspicion on any one in particular. That she had been vindicated of the charge was quite enough for her, but she could not resist wondering occasionally what had prompted the deed and whether the other girl had turned over a new leaf. One other thing troubled Grace a little. Mildred Taylor had become extremely intimate with Mary Hampton and Alberta Wicks. Both young women were frequent guests for dinner at Wayne Hall, and Mildred spent her spare time almost entirely in their society. As the two juniors were extremely unpopular with the Wayne Hall girls, a peculiar constraint invariably fell upon the table when either young woman was Mildred's guest for the evening. One has to weigh one's words when Alberta Wicks or Mary Hampton are here, Emma Dean had declared significantly to Irene Evans, and this seemed to be the prevalent opinion among the students who lived at Wayne Hall. Mildred's attitude toward Grace had not changed. In manner she was more distant than ever, and except for a slight bow when chance brought her to face to face with Grace, she gave no evidence of having been more than the merest acquaintance. Her dislike for her roommate had to all appearances disappeared, and Laura Atkins was now seen occasionally in company with Mildred and her two mischievous junior friends. Such was the situation when the longed-for Christmas vacation arrived. Grace Harlowe's thoughts were not on her own perplexities as she walked toward Wayne Hall after finishing her last round of calls. A new problem had arisen, and as she swung along through the crisp winter air she was in deep thought. It was peculiar Christmas weather. A light snow had fallen, but through the patches of white lying softly on the campus, the grass still showed spots of green. 
It had been an unusually long, warm fall, and to Grace, whose winters had been spent much farther north, the mildness of December seemed marvellous. "'There!' she exclaimed, stopping in the middle of the walk to consult a small leather book and drawing a pencil through the last item. "'I can go home in peace. I have every single thing done, even to notifying the expressman to come for my trunk.' A sudden trill sounded down the street behind her. Turning her head, Grace saw Arlene Thayer bearing down upon her. "'I thought I'd never make you hear me,' panted the little girl. "'Ruth is going home with me after all.' "'I thought she would,' laughed Grace. "'She assured me last night that she wouldn't think of imposing upon you, but I know your powers of persuasion. You have given Ruth a great deal of happiness, Arlene, and I am sure she appreciates it, too.' Arlene shook her curly head. "'I don't deserve any credit.' I'm nice with her because I like her. I'm consulting my own selfish pleasure, you see, and that doesn't count. If I didn't care for Ruth, I'm afraid I wouldn't bother my head about helping her to have good times. You are frank, at least, smiled Grace. Seriously speaking, I'm really very selfish, admitted Arline. I never think of doing good for unselfish reasons. I don't find any particular interest in being nice with girls who do not appeal to me. That sounds terribly cold-blooded, doesn't it? They say an only child is always selfish, you know. Oh, forgive me, Grace. I forgot you were an only child. Goodness knows you are not selfish. Yes, I am, contradicted Grace. This is my second year at Overton, and in all the time I have thought about nothing but myself and my friends and my good times. This afternoon, when I started out to make calls, I met Miss Barlow, a little freshman who lives in a boarding house down on Beach Street. We were going in the same direction, and I thoughtlessly asked if she were going home for Christmas. Second afterward I was sorry. Her face fell, then she brightened a little and said no. She and seven other girls who lived in the same house were going to have a Christmas tree. For three days they had been busy decorating it. They had just finished. She asked almost timidly if I would like to see it. Of course I said yes, and we started for her boarding house. "'Tis away down at the other end of Overton, and the most cheerless-looking old barn of a house. "'The inside of the house is almost as cheerless as the outside, too. "'They had set up their tree in the parlour, and it was the only bright spot in the room. "'The tree was trimmed with popcorn and tinsel. "'There were funny little ornaments of coloured paper, too, that they had made themselves. "'The presents were underneath the tree, a few forlorn-looking little packages that made me feel like crying.' I couldn't truthfully say that the tree was lovely, but I did tell Miss Barlow that I thought they had done splendidly, and that I was sorry I hadn't known her better before, but I should have liked to help them with their tree. Then she said she had always wanted to know me, but I had so many friends among the influential girls at Overton, she had thought I wouldn't care to know her. You can imagine how conscience-stricken I felt. At home I was a friend of every girl in high school, and to think that I had been developing snobbish traits without realising it. "'Couldn't we do something nice for them before we go?' asked Arlene generously. "'Tis only three o'clock. Why not start a movement among the girls we know and send them a box? We can make the girls contribute, but we won't tell a soul who it's for. We'll ask for money or presents, whatever they care to give.' She went on eagerly. "'What do you think of it? Do you suppose they would be offended?' "'I think it is the greatest thing out!' exclaimed Grace enthusiastically. "'How can they be offended if we send the things anonymously?' They can't, chuckled Arlene gleefully. Now we had better separate. I'll do Morton House, Livingstone Hall, and Wellington House. You can do Wayne Hall, Holland House, and those two boarding houses on the corner below you. A lot of freshmen and sophomores live there. 
I'll come over to your house with my loot tonight, directly after dinner. Good-bye until then. At seven o'clock that night, Arlene set down a heavy suitcase and rang the bell at Wayne Hall. Grace, who had been watching for her from one of the living-room windows, hastened to open the door. "'Thank goodness!' sighed the little fluffy-haired girl. "'I thought I would never be able to drag this suitcase across the campus. "'It is crammed with things. "'I've been busier than all the busy bees that ever buzzed,' "'she continued happily, following Grace into the living-room. "'You can't begin to think how nice everyone has been. "'About half of this stuff in the suitcase is candy. "'One girl at Morton House had ten boxes given her. "'Of course she couldn't eat it all, so she put in five. Arlene did not volunteer the further information that she was the girl and that the candy was mostly from Wilston men, with whom she was extremely popular. Another girl gave me two pairs of gloves. She had half a dozen pairs sent from home. She's going to New York for Christmas, so her home presents were sent to her here. Ever so many girls who had bought presents to take home gave me something from their store. I caught them just as they were finishing their packing. But best of all added Arlene triumphantly, sinking into a chair and opening her brown suede handbag. "'I have money! Fifty dollars! That will help some, won't it?' She gave a little gleeful chuckle. "'I should say so,' gasped Grace. "'I didn't do quite as well, although I have a whole table full of presents. Come on up and see them. None of us have put in our money contribution yet.' "'How much have you?' asked Arlene curiously. "'So far only twenty-five dollars,' replied Grace. "'The girls in the boarding-houses are not overburdened with money. "'I collected half of it from the Holland House girls. "'Miriam has promised me five dollars, and I'll put in five. "'That makes thirty-five dollars. "'I haven't asked Elfreda yet. "'She went out on a last shopping tour early this afternoon and hasn't come home yet. "'I suppose she went to Vinton's for dinner. "'Anne hasn't given me her money yet. "'Did you ask Miss Atkins?' was Arlene's sudden inquiry. She was seized with a recollection of what transpired earlier in the fall. Grace shook her head. I couldn't. She hasn't spoken to me since the beginning of the term. Shall I run up and ask her? proposed Arlene. She is quite cordial to me in that queer, stiff way of hers. It is only fair to give her a chance to contribute if she wishes, said Grace slowly. I should say you might better ask her, then leave her out. I'll go now while I feel in the humour, declared Arlene. You might ask Miss Taylor, too. She is Miss Atkins' roommate. She's been rather distant with me, so I haven't approached her on the subject. Arlene danced off on her errand with joyful little skips of anticipation. It was not long before she returned, a pleased smile on her baby face. What do you think? she whispered gleefully. She gave me ten dollars. She was lovely, too, and didn't scowl at all. I wished her a Merry Christmas, and she asked me to take luncheon or dinner with her some time after Christmas. Miss Taylor wasn't there. Grace was on the point of replying humorously that she hoped Arlene would not share Elfreda's fate when the hour to dine came round. She checked herself in time, however. She had no right to betray Elfreda's confidence even to Arlene. That was generous in her, she said warmly. Would you like to come upstairs with me now, Arlene, while I collect my share of contributions? Miriam and Elfreda will soon be here, and I will ask Anne for her money. Arlene obediently followed Grace upstairs to her room. Grace lighted the gas. As she did so, she espied an envelope lying on the rug near the door. Crossing to where it lay, Grace picked it up. It bore no superscription. She turned it over, then, finding it unsealed, pulled back the flap and peered into it. 
With an exclamation of wonder, she drew forth a crisp ten-dollar bill. "'Who do you suppose left it there?' she gasped in amazement. "'I thought Anna was here. She must have gone out.' "'Look in the envelope. Perhaps there is a card, too,' suggested Arline hopefully. Grace peered into it a second time. Close to the inner surface of the envelope lay a tiny strip of paper. She held it up triumphantly for Arline's inspection. "'Is there any writing on it?' demanded Arline. Grace scanned the strip of the paper earnestly, turned it over, and found the faint lead-pencil inscription, "'From a friend.' "'Who can it be?' pondered Arline. "'Do you recognize the handwriting?' "'No,' Grace looked puzzled. "'Tis a welcome gift. Just think, Arline, we have one hundred dollars. You're fifty, and Miss Atkins' ten makes sixty, and this makes seventy. Twenty-five dollars I have, and twenty dollars more from the four of us makes one hundred and fifteen dollars. That will mean a great deal to those girls. I only wish it were more. If I had known sooner, I would not have been so extravagant in buying my Christmas presents, declared Arline regretfully. There isn't time to write to father for more. I don't like to telegraph. I've been positively reckless with money this month. When I go home, I'm going to have a talk with father. Oh, Grace Harlow, I have a perfectly lovely idea, she continued joyfully, clasping her two small hands about Grace's arm. But I'm not going to say a word until I come back to Overton. Then I won't ask questions, smiled Grace. Come now, help me with these packages. It is eight o'clock and we haven't made a start yet. We had better wrap the presents in two large packages. I will ask Mrs. Elwood for some wrapping paper and we'll bring the suitcase up here. It was almost nine o'clock when Grace and Arline descended the steps of Wayne Hall with mystery written on their faces. Each girl carried an unwieldy bundle. In the centre of Grace's bundle, securely wrapped in fold after fold of tissue paper, was a little box. It contained one hundred and fifteen dollars in bills. Wrapped about the bills was the following note addressed to Esther Barlow, the freshman Grace's encountered that afternoon. Merry Christmas to yourself and your seven freshman friends. Santa Claus. How can we manage to deliver this stuff without being seen? demanded Arline. My arms ache already and we haven't walked a block. Grace set down her bundle on a convenient horse block and paused to consider. Arline dropped hers beside it with a sigh of relief. I know what we can do, said Grace reflectively. We can get Mr. Symes to go with us. He's that old man who does errands and takes messages for ever so many of the girls. We will go with him as far as the corner, then he can carry the things to the door and give them to the woman who owns the boarding house. He lives just around the corner from here. You stay here and watch the bundles, and I will see if I can find him. Grace found Mr. Symes at home and quite willing to carry out the final detail of the Christmas plan. The old man was duly sworn to secrecy, and entered into the spirits of his errand almost as heartily as did Arline and Grace. At the chosen corner the girls halted, repeated their final instructions, and drawing back into the shadow, left him to deliver the two bulky packages, his wrinkled face wreathed in smiles. He smiled even more broadly on his return to the watchers, as Grace slipped a crisp green note into his hand and wished him a Merry Christmas. Now we ought to do a little celebrating on our own account, she proposed. Suppose we pay a visit to Vinton's. It isn't too cold for ices. That is just what I was thinking, agreed Arline. An hour later, Arline and Grace said goodbye on the corner below Wayne Hall. I won't see you in the morning at the station, Grace, said Arline regretfully. My train leaves a whole hour later than yours. I hope you will have a perfectly lovely Christmas. I hope eight other girls will too, don't you?
"'You're a dear little daffy-down-dilly,' smiled Grace as she kissed Arlene's upturned face. "'I'm sure they will, and they have you to thank for their pleasure, though they'll never know it.'" End of chapter 17 Recording by Ashley Jane